Welcome to the Healing While Black podcast, where we believe it's possible and necessary for Black people to heal, thrive, and celebrate our lives in the face of injustice. We'll highlight the often unheard voices and perspectives of Black people on a range of topics that impact our lives. I'm Misty. And I'm Kiana. And we're two Black women therapists with real lives trying to heal while Black and figure it all out too. Thanks for joining us. You ready? Mm-hmm. Hi, everyone. Hi. We're so happy to be back. Today, we have a wonderful guest, Martin X. Henson. Misty, tell us all about Martin. All right. So Martin is the executive director of B-Men Foundation. It's a nonprofit he started in 2018 that brings Black men together to actively discuss and work through issues specific to Black men. And that might include mental health, healthy masculinity, identity, sexuality, homophobia, sexual assault, and other issues. He's done a lot of work with Black Lives Matter Boston, as well as other community efforts. In his work as a community organizer and mental health professional, he has engaged thousands of people around prison abolition, restorative justice, fighting white supremacy, and supporting Black communities broadly. Martin's very passionate about building effective support systems for Black men, community improvement, and activism. Let's get into this interview with Martin. Martin, um, so you've you've been doing some really good work for a, a good amount of time. Um, it looks like you've spent the the last ten years doing some really good advocacy work for for Black people and marginalized communities, and you know more recently with Black men in particular. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into this work? Yeah, um, Martin. By the way, he him pronouns. Uh, what what got me into the work is is a lot of things. My context, my family has always been rooted in some type of people work, um, whether it be community work or, or activism or the church. Uh, a lot of the church, I've done everything in the church you can probably do, you know. <laughs> um, and but it really kind of grounded my like strong sense of like morality and having really strong principles. Uh, and then that kind of combined with what I've seen happening with people uh, in our community, in the black community. Uh, and it just kind of made a, a really interesting mix or powerful mix for me. One way of, of really, it got really solidified. So when I was, there's a few different things. When I was younger, my stepdad used to make me, uh, he made me do book reports on black history figures. Like, I, oh, I, I just, I thought it was so annoying at the time. Of course. <laughs> My son feels the same way. Right. Don't mean we're not going to do that. <laughs> I know. I feel like my kids try to avoid all Black history things now. I'm like, what's, what's up? Yeah. I didn't have a choice. And I had all these books there that, you know, uh, and I, I, it all kind of just, I remember I used to, back when I was living with him and my mom, I had a water bed. I, was, I had a water bed. That oh, was, boy. That's some real throwback stuff. I don't, yes. I don't know why that was a thing, but I, that's what I had. But in the bookshelf, like Native Son was like in the bookshelf. Oh. So like I, there was all these books that was there. I was like, they just, I just saw them as old books. 
you know, right, right. Yeah. and I'm doing these book reports and, and it kind of just solidified uh, kind of my, my thought process. And then when I was younger, um, a little bit afterwards, because I would still be spending time with my dad, my dad was killed. So mm-hmm. when my dad was killed, I was really surrounded by black community and black mm-hmm. men, very, spe- very spe- specifically. So yeah. when I, I, even when I say about my stepdad, like my stepdad and my mom divorced long ago mm-hmm. and he was still there. So like those, mm-hmm. wow. those moments, especially when my dad passed, which, you know, with those type of relationships, people just are some more contentious, but right. it was just a flow of love and being held in humanity that being combined with the, the black history that I had to learn, like, that solidified. And and for everything I did from there was in one path or another, trying to give people that experience and fight and protect uh, and in the ways that I saw happening close to me. What I find interesting about what you said was you come from a helping family, right? Right. And church was a big part of that. I love that connection, right? Because I think a lot of times in the community, our community, it's the only community I'm going to ever talk about. But anyway, in our community, um, church is looked at as, you know, religion and spirituality, but it's not necessarily viewed as helping, right? Now, it can be harmful, but the -hmm. purpose of it is to help. And the fact that you view it in that way, I love that because it helps to highlight that our regular basic existence you know black folks tend to be or tended to be really religious and that's so much a part of who we are our existence it that we have um access to that right Mm -hmm. type of healing i love that that was part of your upbringing yeah yeah and i i know that i think church communities for black folks you know, historically have been those, you know, one of those main, the main space where Black people have gotten support over the years and and throughout history, Um, you know, when other parts of the community or other parts of our society were, Mm -hmm. you know, coming down upon us, the the church community or or religious communities were those spaces where we could go and feel like we're amongst our people and get the support, you know, that we need. And even you know, when I speak to some of my clients in therapy, oftentimes I, th- I think folks feel like it's, you know, they go to their pastors or, or, you know, folks in church, you know, when they're dealing with even mental health struggles mm-hmm. or, or, you know, life struggles and, and things like that. So I, I think, you know, our religious communities have been a stronghold and played, you know, a, a really important role in our communities throughout, throughout time. I bring, I bring religion into my therapy room. So if I know my client is spiritual, religious in some way, best believe God is a coping skill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Praying is a coping skill, right? Remembering, relying. I use God a lot for clients that are religious as a grounding technique, right? Basically checking yourself, rem- remembering that you don't make all these decisions. You really aren't in control of everything, right? Focus on what you can control and remember God got this. Like that's something I say a lot in therapy with my clients that are religious because they get caught up in the day-to-day life and the day-to-day struggles of what's going on. And they forget that it's something much bigger than this because 
mm-hmm. supremacy and racism will make you think <laughs> that this is all that there is. I'm mm-hmm. damned. I'm not even religious. I'm very spiritual, not religious, but that helps to keep me grounded. So I love right. that. Right. And and I I'm just thinking, I was reminded. I'm I'm telling y'all something I typically don't say. So y'all getting a, a little bit more out of me. Nice. So when I think <laughs> I think about the the like images in my it's all of these different pictures in my family. So when I think about the images in my life that were just around, there's a few different pictures that stood out. So one of them is like, you know, family had the obligatory black Jesus. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Black Jesus is going to be somewhere, you know, that picture of it's about four or five black women holding hands or something. A lot of black families have that. <laughs> I don't know who, where they got from. <laughs> yep, yep. That one. But colorful dresses, it. right? You know, the right, quite a different right. color dress, right? You know, yep. yep. <laughs> and and then the last one was is kind of random, but I think it makes sense when I look at kind of how I orient myself. It's the uh the first black congress after reconstruction or during that time. Interesting. And and so like I'm thinking I have to because I have to tell these stories, I have to think about what what was all around. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking yeah. that, that kind of colors like my context of how how I like began and seeing all these, these, these images and these books and all this stuff, not knowing what they meant. And then later having to be like, Oh, this is how I was, I was made. You know? I love that. I love that. Come on, black families. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things you, you mentioned was that you, you know, you, you did have some strong black men in your world you know, kind of coming up, you know, you point to your your stepdad, right? Those, you know, supportive, even in moments when we wouldn't think that, you know, folk, you know, one would be supportive. Um, and I, yeah, want to just draw attention to, to, to Black men, you know, what do you feel like are some of the most important issues that Black men are faced with right now in our world? Yeah, I think the issue of there's a few different ways I can look at it. One of them is this kind of what I'm doing now, the issue of advocacy, talking about black men as victims and humanizing them. And I think we assume that we do it, right? Because we we see they're hyper present in our like visual context. We see them all the time. We assume that, that that actually creates positive outcomes. But when you're hyper visual and your prevailing sentiment is to see you as aggressive, mm-hmm. then that creates a kind of inverse, more negative reality where you can see us everywhere and everybody feels, people feel more threatened and feel less safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one piece, really advocating against and, and shedding light on how we actually look at black men. Cause I think people assume that they are more positive than they actually are. Mm-hmm. And, and then the more, some of the more tangible data centered stuff that comes along with it is that you know, black men have like the lowest life expectancy um, of, these different racial, you know, ethnic, gender-based groups are the measures that we have, and the things that are high on the list, the things that are killing us, you know, cancer, uh, uh, diabetes, uh, heart disease, heart disease, maybe I think is number one. Uh, we don't talk a lot about um, AIDS, HIV, because of all of the signals related to that. And then on that list is also police brutality. You know, uh, black men have a you know what one in one thousand chance uh, of being killed by police as a hundred for every hundred thousand, uh, and when compared to black women, it may be from somewhere between two to five black women for every hundred thousand. So it's like mm-hmm. multiple, multiple times over. Um, 
for how we look at it. But I, I think we should to like actually investigate the numbers uh, and align them with how we actually think about black men. Because I think we have to be a lot more softer in our approach if it, we, we use that as a as a starting point. Right. Hmm. You had mentioned something about you know, our maybe views about black men, like the, one of the initial things that you had mentioned is, are, were you saying that we, we tend to view the presence of black men as more positive than it really is? Or I think we, we think because we, they're, they're hypervisual in a sense that we see a lot of black, men. We see images, uh, let's say entertainment or or sports, or uh, when black men come into media, we, we know that we see them a lot, right? And we assume that, that the, the presence of them is in that context means that it's positive. Okay. When we start to break down what the messages are, they are largely around you know, poverty, incarceration, death. Those are, the, those are the, the main things that you're gonna see black men in relation to. And if it's not one of those things, is typically something entertainment centered or focused. So when I come around and I start talking about black men as being like humanized in life, and like I was, for example, I was triggered by when we talk around, let's say, the death of Mike Brown, uh, the death of, of a few of the other names, and we we lament how how the life that they were not allowed to live, and I'm like. Mm-hmm how do we actually treat them when they're alive? Why do we get these glowing reviews once we pass? And when, you know, people uh, who are like me or people who kind of move in a black male study space have to deal with being discarded and uh, constantly challenged to bring humanity to the lives of these black men. And then they're so hyper visible in death and people assume that, oh, we're taking care of them because we now acknowledge that they died. We don't want them to die, you know. So I, th- these are the ideas. Okay. That I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So sort of like, you know, we're we're not actually provided with, you know, more humanizing images of black men. So every time we're, you know, we're kind of viewing black men in the media, and you know, because there's this 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 hyper presence as as you talk about, you know, um, we're seeing black men all the time but those images are connected to a lot of negativity, right? Or, you know, even some of the stuff that's real in their lives, you know, like the struggle and all that stuff, but we're not really given truer, you know, mm-hmm. more, more complex images of, of black men um, mm-hmm. as, as full human beings. Right. Yeah. I find that interesting. It is, is like you're saying, they're hypervisual. Like we see black men everywhere, but I don't see the positive connection, right? I see that people see them, that they talk about black men, that they're the rappers and the entertainers and they, you know, but even when uh, Barack Obama was the president, they saw him, that is kind of a positive light, but all the negativity that comes immediately with the blackness of a man, right? Mm -hmm. That is always on the back of whatever that image is, you know what I mean? Mm And it, it honestly, and this wasn't one of the questions we have on here, but I always wonder how do you, how the black men that aren't in this space, right? Like you and your colleagues, how do you 
get them to understand that society's view of them is bullshit, mm. right? Like they don't have to play into it. They don't have to accept it. They can decide who they are as a person outside of the expectations of society. Mm. I don't uh, I don't know how you begin to do that as a black man. It's, it's hard. And so part of it is um, really having to do work to, to, I think when we're dealing with the larger population, uh, uh, people think about us or how people are aware of us, we have to be like, hey, our way of being, our forms of masculinity have been developed in that space. That mm-hmm. we have to be resistant, we have to watch out, you have to be careful. And so when black men are in community with each other, we often teach each other ways of being resistant and be careful and being safe and doing this. Mm-hmm. And so we have to do more work to make sure that we teach each other to hear each other better, mm-hmm. to humanize each other better, to support each other better, which is the work I do with be men in those support spaces we do once a month. We, we like mm-hmm. with each other, hey, how, what are some things that stood out for you that you're processing this month? You know, what, what was that like? Oh, I heard mm-hmm. you say this, man, I'm, you know, my condolences or like, mm-hmm. I've been there before. Like it has to be an intentional effort because some of the tools we've yes. had to use to resist the system sometimes hurt us in terms of when we need yes. help. We, we got to practice in a different way. Absolutely. So what I hear you say is community and communication amongst Black men yeah. is so important to help with that process or understanding or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. That's awesome. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I really would love you to talk about um, the work you know, you're doing with B-Men. And I think we we had that in mind as, you know, with, with the next question that we wanted to ask. Um, but if you could highlight some of that in this one. Um, but can you share about how your work around advocating for Black lives has evolved over time uh, and some of the influences that have led to this evolution? Yeah, um, over time, I think it, it just, it changed with me getting older and with your, the reflections that I'm coming across, having a daughter, my daughter's 10, um, and, and thinking about how things impact her uh, as well as kind of, you know, what legacy do I want to live behind? So I, I say this pretty often um, to people, or I have said it a lot to people, is that, you know, when I used to work in facilities, I used to work with geriatric clinics, uh, with uh, folks who couldn't have, they didn't have their memory, was, was leaving and gone, and they will remember things from 30, 40 years ago that they wish they would have done differently. And I'm like, I'm not going to be that, you know. And I, if I get Alzheimer's or dementia, it is what it is. But I don't want to be like, I could have did more. I, I tried harder. So um, as I thought about the, when, you know, the the movement against police brutality and all this stuff came about, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, I was like, man, I got to do something to kind of cement interventions that keep us from dying. And over time, what those interventions were changed they, and they evolved. And, you know, I can, I can do this for only so long. I only be on the streets protesting and, and, and waving signs and, you know, doing all the rallying. I only do that for so long until it's time for the next people to take that on. Uh, mm-hmm. So the B-Men came in the middle of that, you know, that was in 2018. Um, although B-Men 
was created, started in the middle of that, the, the police brutality group. And it's probably more so a uh, derivative from Me Too and the positionality around victimhood mm. women and, mm. and having to investigate how black men responded and realizing that, oh, black men actually have their own stuff. Mm. They have Me Too stories that they'll never tell and they never. Right. So like, because there's a space for it, right, in our world. Yeah. Right. And even now, you still have a lot of people, when Black men talk about uh, being victims of some type of sexual harm, it's a lot of the same rape culture narratives that they wanted it and mm. or this. But because they're men, right. Right, people struggle with it. They, right. they, mm-hmm. they struggle with it. And they don't always know that they struggle with it. So um, these ideas of intervention became super important to me, whether I was doing it through like the Black Lives Matter stuff or through be man. I'm like, I want to intervene and I want to know that what I'm doing is working, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not out here to be wasting time. We only have so much. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so. Right, right. And energy, time and energy. It's so funny you say that um, like this week, last week, something is a rapper, Kevin Gates, right? And he had talked about being molested um, rec- kind of recently, right? Mm-hmm. And his kind of whole demeanor has kind of changed, evolved over time. Mm-hmm. He, he looked like he's moving like a grown man mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. you know? But there was someone in the industry, he may be a rapper, producer, somebody big mm-hmm. that made comment. He, they was like, what's up with Kevin Gates? You know, since he said he'd been molested, he'd been moving weird, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing you're talking about where it's not safe, mm-hmm. there's no space. And when it comes up, people that don't understand vilify it or stigmatize it. Or so the, the fact that it's so difficult mm-hmm. for Black men to find healing and healing spaces mm-hmm. is so evident. Now, it's, it's so evident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it drives me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something you said, though, that I found important and I wanted to highlight is how you talked about you evolving Mm -hmm. in this fight for or pursuit of Black happiness, right, for for Black culture, for our community. I love that because I think sometimes people feel, Black people feel like, all right, I'm going in to help. Or I'm uh, I'm starting this help, and however it looks is how it has to stay. Mm-hmm. But I do, I I'm a person that doesn't agree with that, right? You said now it's time for somebody else to march, mm-hmm. right? And you move on to the, the next thing. I think that is so important for the healing of Black people in general to understand the roles that we play will change. They will evolve mm-hmm. as long as the goal is still the same, which is to help us heal and get to a space where we can exist as humans in this world like we are supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. But that, that is so, I'm so glad you highlighted it. I'm so glad you talked about it because I think that's really, really important. You don't have to get stuck in one role as we uh, support and tend to ourselves and our community. Right, right. And even with the work with the men, as I, I was doing B-Men and then doing some of the activism stuff at the same time in a lot of ways, but how B-Men involved was his own thing. So, uh, and even to my work in, in activism involved, because I initially came from a more, I guess I would say a more feminist lens uh, where m- men, there's a particular way that men are, are showing up uh, that's inherently negative. That was the assumption. And over time, I found that 
the men that I wanted to reach and talk to, that particular approach just didn't work. Mm. They just, they didn't, re- they were not responsive to that. Um, it's mm. not saying that the positionality of those folks is, is, comes from a negative place because people have to experience that informs their politics. What I realized is that, oh, I had to come from a space that centered the way that black men view and understand the world. Mm-hmm. I shift into like black male studies and a lot of uh, data that's out there and reading um, and an informed stuff. So even going back to the evolution piece, the men, the first thing that we were thinking about doing in terms of that programming was a sexual response to sexual harm, that type of stuff. Did a little bit of that. Then I realized, oh, black men need a space to, to kind of talk. We can do like this monthly thing. So now we, mm-hmm. what, we went in 2022. That's about to be, you know, four years of just doing this thing that that, yeah. that I just that has just evolved. The COVID happened. I'm like, oh, people need some COVID support. Maybe we can do a thing. Did some COVID mm-hmm. relief. Had a conversation with a friend of mine, um, black woman who's trans. We're talking about man, you know, black straight men and trans trans women could come together and talk more and like just kind of talk about all these things that these ideas. Now we got a thing that we, another program. So it is, it's just, you got to give yourself room to evolve and adapt. And that's, mm-hmm. is this working? Is this, this quality? And if it, it, if it worked for a little bit, all right, cool. We might need to keep doing it. Or maybe we need to shift into uh, just letting that go and picking up a new program. So that's, you, you have, it takes a bit of ego checking. Yes. The board, you need a good community around you to really help you think through things as opposed to just going off your own energy. Just to tie this back um, to where you started, did you learn how to set this up, right? Like uh, get into this world of activism and helping and having an organization because of your family, because of, you said you came from kind of a helping background. Mm -hmm. Did you have that knowledge from them? Um, I think sometimes we we put a lot of focus on as people the explicit messages that people give you. So like somebody says, do this in this way. Um, in my family, it was just a lot of examples. So my mom has has been a part of doing um, community work in in Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas, where I'm from. Ever since I was little, I've been going to community community center since before I can remember. Okay. First thing it's called just a little bit of, of history. It's called We Care. That was ran by Miss Pat Jackson. Miss mm-hmm. Jackson was my is my cousin through my dad. My mom has been working with her as long as I remember. So I was always been in those spaces where I've seen people. It's in your DNA. Yeah, I've I've only okay. known that either mm-hmm. that or church. You know, that's what we're doing. So by the time I actually mm-hmm. got into doing organizing, now of course you got to know organizing theory, strategy, right. all of that to be you know hopefully yeah, learn it at effective. some point. But that was my that was right. kind of like the background. That was, that was the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. that's great. You, um, I think there was some really good stuff that you just, you know, just talked about. I feel like you were dropping some nuggets and I, I want to kind of go it, go into some of them. Um, if it's, if it's possible, we may not get to everything, but, um, one of the things that you talked about, you know, as you talked about the evolution of, you know, your work with doing advocacy work and, you know, work around black men was initially kind of coming from a feminist lens in, in your approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then realizing that actually 
that wasn't the way that was going to actually be able to to reach black men. Can you talk a little bit more about that that part of of your of your journey and the evolution of your work? Yeah, um, I think I had to really deal with the hard reality that some of the the assumption around the general assumptions that can come with feminism. One of them is that like kind of women are like universally subjugated by men. Um, that comes and plays out in a variety of ways, different subgenres of feminism, is for men who are victims of racialized oppression and, and targeted in this very specific way, um, it just didn't land for them because they're like, um, you know, I can't oppress this white woman. She has more power than I do, you know, or these situations where we're like, oh, well, my, my agency, my power is just not really existing here, I have a hard time resonating with that worldview as a starting point. Um, so I, I, I really struggle with it because, you know, we have this idea that, you know, feminism is for everybody and it should be able to work because it's about, you know, um, getting rid of, uh, of sexual oppression and it should be beneficial in a certain way. But some of those lines aligned with, you know, historically negative tropes about black men, framing them as aggressors and violent. And, and men felt that. So I, I think I had to really just say, okay, this is a, a, a perspective that works for a certain context. It doesn't work for this one. So centering with a framing that men understood and could uh, get jiggy with, you know, uh, that being one, the masculinity being positive, mm-hmm. inherently negative, because a lot of positive framings of masculinity actually uh, propel brothers to actually get engaged. Mm-hmm. That's how they, me being a strong man is my intervention point against violence. Yeah. And, and that's for some other people in different, let's say, uh, configuration or different ideologies, that's not how it exists. But to reach those brothers, I have to yeah. come from a place that acknowledges the power in, in that, in the resiliency. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was a big part of that shift. Yeah. Yeah. I, wow. I think it I think what you what you're talking about really kind of highlights the limits of feminist thought, right? And and because it doesn't it doesn't really take into account, right, like oppression racial oppression and and, and all of that, right? But I wonder if in your thinking at, at all or you know, in your work even currently, if black feminist thought has come into thought in any kind of way yeah uh absolutely i mean i've had to i've i've had to read it you know coming mm-hmm. into in the blm space because that was that was the uh kind of grounding theoretical position okay life. so i had to read a, a lot of it and know it and be familiar with it um and intersectionality was a thing that really made me think deeply about what relationships and community look like right. uh, now, yeah. there, there are moments where I definitely can be critical of when intersectionality, if it's not clear what people mean, it can mean a lot of different things. It can be hard yeah. to, to kind of sit in that. But for me, um, what it did was make me think deeply about the relationships I have with women in my life. And I'm like, OK, how many how many times am I asking them about their experience? Um, you know, how do they actually. What, what question? I actually learned to be more empathic in relationship from women. They're like, because women, y'all be talking, something happened. Girl, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> and we want to know. You want to know. 
And there's something that allows people to be seen in those, like, what was your experience? And I think as in men, we can know when we don't get it, but we don't always realize when we're not giving it. So I, I had to think really deeply around that. And that actually informed a lot of the work that um, we do we do with trans women in our community. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, hey, I want y'all to feel as, as good and protected and understood as I, I want to feel. And I also got to do my part to actually to listen more and to mm-hmm. dig into that more. So, I, yeah, I've read a good little bit. Uh, I've read a a, a lot, probably more so than than a lot of other fields, just because when you do come from a place of advocating for black men, people see it as antagonistic to women for whatever reason. So I kind of have to know how they're thinking about it and know how to engage that to to be able to make so like, no, this is not this doesn't mean that we should not keep doing what we need to do to make sure you get what you get what you need. Right. This is just us talking about, here's how the things are happening for us. And if we're looking to heal, right, it can't be done in a vacuum. So black trans women can't just heal or black men can't just heal or, you know what I mean? Like it has to be like everyone's healing is connected to everyone else's. So it can't exist in a vacuum. So that's seeking out knowledge from what isn't in your direct environment is so powerful. Right. It's so powerful to be able to kind of reach the people you need to reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you talk about just the importance of centering the Black male experience and, and that, that that being the, 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 the most important thing that's done, right? That, that, I mean, not the most important thing, but like that's the, that's the focus, the focus right? 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 Is, is centering, um, you know, the black male experience um and i right because there's there's a lot that won't come up if using other frameworks right um to to really understand that you know and that can't really happen with anyone else right like black men it's important that black men are doing that work together yeah. um So we'd really love to hear more about your own journey. So if you could share about your own journey as a Black man in this world, engaged in this work, and any particular discoveries or insights you've made or you know learned about yourself, Black men and Black people along the way. Yeah, it's, I mean, my journey has it, been difficult. It's, it's been hard. Um, I, you know, when I, I, I say this really often, so like my Two of my closest friends, um, one of them being uh, Darrell Mix, one of them being Kari Charles, they they passed in 2019. And they were big, big supporters of the work that I was doing. And um, that, you know, you're doing all of this and it's, you can't share. They can't, they haven't been, they're not able to see this, this ending point. So the, the struggle of like losing things and really trying to prevent or keep from 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 all of that loss from happening is has been happening throughout my life. Would be my, my, my dad passing, um, my friend, other friend Pascal Walker passing, died by suicide, uh, and then these other, you know, you do I, these all these men. I want to keep. I want to. I want to hold close to me, um, and and not being able to do that. So um, the work that I do is so much. Uh, derivative of, of love and, and passion 
and uh, and trying to pass it forward because I also had to learn, hey, you can't do this forever, you know. So you have to create frameworks and understandings that other men can pick up and hold and pass it on to somebody else, you know. Yeah. Um, with that, and then going getting into these spaces where being in like kind of just movement in response to the death of uh, black men and police brutality, and realizing that oh, people don't really like black men that much, <laughs> like. You would think that you would think that it meant that they valued us, but mm. um, and getting that from like the more conservative type side that's really disinterested in our lives and, and yeah. saying we deserve to die, and then from the progressive side that's saying you know black men are so harmful to black women and black black queer folks are kind of flattening these mm. these tensions that exist in our community to 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 ultimately mean like disregard us. We don't we don't need you. Mm. All while you're advocating to keep black men from dying and the people that they love and also these other groups. Mm. So that, that was traumatic. I can't call it nothing else but that. And I think reading, writing, making revelations around what the experience is and, and how it actually looks to advocate for black men, it's it's been a it's been a journey. Mm. Would you say that the work that you're calling a journey has been therapeutic to you or would you say it's kind of a reaction to to the environment to the laws to the to hell to being black you know what I mean like feeling okay so I asked the question because I personally have this drive kind of to make whatever space I'm in mm -hmm. make it better for the next black person that comes behind me yeah usually specifically it's a, another black woman that comes behind me right, right. and that kind of has become my it probably evolved from my spirit but that's kind of just how I move versus you know well not versus and that's how I see it so I'm wondering is that kind of your motivation in the work that you do or or not um Ooh, I, I would say it's, it's survival work. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to I want to live, you know, I want my people to live. And yeah. I think there was a period of time where I didn't expect through all of the trauma that I've been through and all of the, the constant images of black death that you were bombarded by. There's like a three or four year period. You see it every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Didn't expect to survive. It. Didn't expect to. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it is is like uh, 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 like a, just a love letter to the black men that I've lost. You know, that's mm -hmm. like I constantly feel like oh, they're they're with me. They're they're, they're walking with me. They're they're helping me um, do all the work that I'm doing, and that's part of it too. You know, and I yeah. think there's a part of it that's creating a better world for my daughter. Like. Right. I don't want her to have to deal with the realities of, of, of rape and sexual harm. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to be able to say that, hey, I did my part to make a better world for you, for, for, whether for her, for my family, yeah. for my, yeah. my brothers. But that's what I want to do, you know, so. And that I feel like hmm, I want to say re that resonates with me. I feel that. <clears throat> I wonder, though does that exist for other people that are not black? Like, do they have the luxury of being born into a world then deciding how they want to impact it, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like for us, 
with a certain kind of spirit we don't have that option it's like we're born in this world we see this shit and we're like oh hell to the no i can't just exist and let this shit happen around me right so it it charges us in a different way and shit can be exhausting personally yeah. it can be exhausting, but necessary yeah, yeah Mark, you I, right like just you talking about like this work you know when it comes down to it it's about survival right like i want to survive right it, and i want to make this it possible for my you know my children to survive right like my daughter and my sons and you know um and i and it, it i almost got brought to tears because i'm think it made me think about a conversation i had with my 14 year old son this past just this past week and it you know the conversation like we were just we were going for a drive you know we had to drop my oldest son off out of practice and then we had a little bit of time to ourselves and we're like you know let's just let's go for a drive and we were just you know talking it was real light energy and something came up about like prison and we were and then the conversation got really somber and my son was like i i feel like i have to prepare myself for that mm-hmm that I'm probably going to be not doing anything and, and following all the rules. Right. I, I almost don't even want to utter those words, right? Because it's like, it's uttering something that I, it's like right. a, a worse nightmare, you know? Right. Um, but it, it obviously that shifted our energy, right? In that moment, but it, 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 it just was like another reminder of like what our young black males and black men have to contend with. You know, and, 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 and I, and I, what was crazy is like, my mind was going to like, you know, the stuff that I know is not real, right? The stuff that I know is not possible. Like, okay, well maybe if, you know, it was going to those like, okay, black respectability politics, right? Like, you know, okay, what can we do to like present ourselves in the most, you know, respectable black ways, you know? And it's like, no, like that's, that's, that's not what this is about. You know, this is a reality that you know, our, our people deal with, have to deal with, you know, and, and it, it breaks my heart, you know, to think about our black boys and, and black men having to contend with that constantly in our world. I I'll say all the time, I, I can't process or, or grasp what it is to be a black man, not in this country, but in a black man in this world, right? In this world. But as a mother to a black, potentially man, black boy right now, when I tell you anxiety wasn't something I was that familiar with till I had my son. Mm-hmm. The thoughts, the, just like you were saying, Misty, like when it time comes time for me and my son to have that conversation, like I'm the biggest and baddest bitch he knows. You know what I mean? Mommy protects me. Mommy holds it down mommy you know daddy's around of course daddy does his thing but when he thinks of mommy you know mommy holds it down in that way mommy can't hold you down in that way when you're out in this world with these racist folks right mommy can and what do i do with that what do i do with that and that's talking about my my 11 year old son my husband who's a grown-ass man if he wants to go all right i'm going out with my friends going out with the boys my level of anxiety it's through the roof because my black man is in this white ass racist world right now. And they don't care that he's an amazing man. They don't care that he's an amazing husband and father. They don't care about that shit. They care that they are scared 
of what of how he presents just because of the color of his skin. Being able to manage that on a daily basis, granted, the black man existence isn't mine, but the impact. Oh my 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 shit. <laughs> like, oh my shit. I don't, I haven't figured out, and my husband and I have been married for 14 years. Mm-hmm. I haven't figured out how to manage that. And I don't, so I say that to say, ultimately the work that you do to help black men understand how to get through this world is beyond important. It's beyond, it is exactly what is needed so we can we can live and we can exist and we can know that happiness because the bullshit, like you said, Misty, is always going to exist. I'm hoping less and less over centuries it'll <laughs> go down but <laughs> tough it's tough yeah I mean, we're gonna have to end soon but can can we just have you share a little bit more about just what come you know um the kinds of conversations and the kinds of things that you do um in be men if we could just like put a plug out for you know be men i know we've talked about it a bit a little bit in bits and pieces throughout um but if you could just paint the picture for us yes um check out bemenfoundation.org um check us out on twitter uh facebook instagram linkedin at be men um yeah, the, the type of things that we we talk about, you know, we were just having a conversation with Trans Emergency Fund the other day, which we partnered with for the Bridging the Gap program with Black men and trans women about how to, to do it more. And, you know, we are goals to do it you know, maybe four times a year. If we get, get funded, we'll also donate to B-Men um, <laughs> in, in the B-Men groups. Um, uh, the last the, the last Sunday that we had, we had a conversation with Black men around boundaries, like Hmm. just expansive where we're just just sharing and giving each other advice uh we've talked before around the differences one of the powerful ones that i remember the differences between how black straight men navigate building relationships into their future and versus how black gay men navigate because there was we had a, a a gay brother there that was saying hey we don't have the expectations to build a family and we have to figure out what that means for us this is all black black men we you know hmm just talking and processing. And it was just, and that's just a few examples yeah. of mm-hmm. what types of things could come up. Uh, but yeah, B-Man, we out here doing our part to change the world for, for Black men, change our narratives and give us more support. I love that. Sounds like you do it through communication, <laughs> through understanding, through acceptance, yeah. through safety. What yeah. last thing, probably not the last thing, but one of the last <laughs> things I'm gonna say. We're gonna is, keep you on here forever, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm a talker. When you started this conversation about where, how you began in your family and such, what I took from that was you felt safe. Right. And that idea of safety as a young Black person, I actually got from Misty as I was telling my story mm. as I was growing up. She highlighted the fact that I felt safe. And in that safety that I felt, created this amazing woman, right? <laughs> I am, I have very few cut cards. I have very few things that will stop me from moving forward. And I think that is because I grew up in an environment where I felt no matter what went down, mm-hmm. I'm loved, I'm good, I'm safe, right? right? So that's, it sounds like your upbringing, 
you felt that same thing. You experienced mm-hmm. it, experienced that level of safety, even if it wasn't in the streets, mm-hmm. right? But within your family, within your church, within the communities that you live. Yeah. And for me, it feels like what you're doing as work is affording that same feeling to Black people, Black men specifically, mm-hmm. that you can feel safe. It's okay. Like, feel who you are. Mm-hmm. Express it, mm-hmm. communicate. That's shit. <laughs> and I ain't you that curse much too there. much, Kiana. <laughs> Listen, I didn't even curse that much this time. Um, that right there, oh my God, it excites me. I have goosebumps. I thank you on the behalf of Black men that don't live in cold Boston. But I, I thank you on the behalf of all Black men, Black women, Black mothers to Black sons, Black wives to Black husbands for that feeling of safety that you are affording to these people. I thank you for that. Absolutely. Is there anything else you would like to share with our audience or say as we wrap up? Oh uh, no, just check us out. Bmenfoundation.org. Um, got all these programs doing uh black men support space once a month. Uh you'll see that update come up for the next month. So uh if you want to donate, please donate. Uh but yeah, I'm just grateful to have a space to talk more about it. All right, we'll put all that information in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Thank you so much, Martin. Oh, yeah, have a good one. Ooh, thank you, Martin. That was a great conversation. All right, so let's jump into the takeaways from, from this episode. Yes. Misty, what stuck out to you or what was the highlight or one of the many highlights of this conversation? Oh my goodness. There were so many and it was, I think it's really hard for me to be like, okay, this is the highlight. I think I was so engaged in the conversation. Um, and I think there were so many nuggets that, that Martin really just dropped, you know, on us. Um, and so much that, that we can all learn from all the wonderful work that he's doing and, and has been doing for, for years now. Um, but for me, I will say, probably what really rose to the top was the importance of black men to be able to be in community and in conversation with each other. Right. Mm-hmm. I think Martin and as as we all know, there are very few spaces for black men to be able to process their experiences and and, and be in community with with other folks, um, other black men, you know, who who are dealing with the same struggles. Um, and I think a lot of the work that Martin is doing around, you know, creating those spaces through be men is is beautiful and impressive to me um, because I really I think it it offers a space where where black men can actually heal um, and you know move the conversation forward of how we really as a society better support um, black men. Um, I think that for me you know in, in really thinking about this I think that there's a lot of power when when black men truly have a space to come together you know truly have a space for healing um, you know, truly have a space to work out what's coming up for black men and be in community with each other. I think this actually allows or offers our world a more progressive outlook on um, humanity than, than we have yet. Um, you know, one of the things that really kind of stood out to me around this um, was when, when Martin talked about initially starting from a feminist lens um, in, in his work and, and some of the problems that that 
kind of created, right? Like, you know, black men weren't really connecting to that. Um, and, you know, for me, I think it was really big because I, I, I tend to have, I tend to, you know, come from a black feminist lens, right? And like, think about like intersectionality and, and how, you know, black feminism is inclusive of, of everybody's experience. Um, but I think being in conversation with, with Martin really kind of expanded, you know, my thinking around that, you know, I think it helped me to see the limits of that. Um, I, you know, for me, I think having that, that black feminist lens has been critically important, you know, just to my experience as a black woman, and it's helped me to like, be able to understand and, and look at systems of oppression, you know, in some really important ways, um, and, and also help me to feel empowered, right, like as, as a black woman. But, um, and I think I, I've also had this perspective that, you know, when we look at when we understand these systems like patriarchy and sexism and all of that stuff, like there's there's room for us to think about how black men are are impacted by that, right? Because it's like patriarchy impacts black men, right? It it limits men, it limits black men. Um, but um, I think our conversation with Martin, you know, really helped to expand my my thinking around that. I think our conversation with Martin really just expanded my thinking on that and really just showed, right? Like there's no, there's no other sort of, like it's important for black men themselves to, to have a space, to be able to come together and, and that we as a, as a world, as a, you know, as a society really need to lean on, make room and make space for that and, and lean on black men to really set the agenda for how we can support their healing. I think that's I think that's one of the reasons why Martin's work is so important because I don't think that exists, right? Mm-hmm. A space right. or black men leading that uh transition or change. I think part of that is probably because black men grow in the same systems that we do from conception their script is already written. Right. So they're coming out fighting against something, but without already establishing who they are, mm-hmm. without really understanding who, how they exist in this world with before mm-hmm. the barriers and the mm-hmm. parameters and the expectations. Like, I don't know that Black men have the opportunity to see themselves before they're told who they are. Yes really, really resonated with me. There, there were a bunch of other things too. I, I, and I'll just say really quickly, I, there was many things I wanted to speak on that Martin said. Another one was, you know, just black men and black trans women being in community together was like something we didn't get to really delve into, but you know, was something that was really, I hope we get to have a conversation about that at some point too. So Kiana, tell, tell us. What did you take away from our conversation with Martin? I love being in conversation with Black men. I really do. Um, Especially smart Black men. Um, Mm -hmm. It's always a fun experience where I learn so much. Um, But I think it's important, and we do want to highlight that there were a few things that came up in this interview that we didn't have time to delve into or touch on. Um, that we would have liked to, but you know, it's an hour. What can we do? We're not yeah. magicians. Right, right, um, right. But as far as my takeaway, what 
what stuck out to me in the conversation was when Martin talked about how the way in which he has helped the Black community has evolved and continues to evolve. Uh, When he spoke about the Be Men movement and starting that process, he spoke about how the way in which he was involved or what motivated him to be involved in keeping us from dying was he had started out being motivated by his daughter Mm -hmm. and the legacy of his family were two things that he spoke about that helped him to want to start to see this change in -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. Also, he discussed how that has changed as he's gotten older. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important for people to understand at the beginning and at the end of the day, we are human beings. Mm. So what may bring us to something doesn't always stay the same. It, it will change and it's okay to change. Mm-hmm. He's, he talked about when he, he was out there marching, he had his signs and then he evolved past that part and moved on to another way to give back to the community, to support the community. Not saying that marching in the streets was no longer important, but that part for him was over and he moved on to the next phase of helping. Mm -hmm. Just that evolution of helping. If I'm doing one thing and this no longer serves me or the community, it's okay for me to change Mm -hmm. and tap back in in a different way to me why that's so important and i look at it as a as a takeaway is because it's okay for us to change we need to change we need to grow we need to be mm-hmm. we what we're motivated by will change he didn't always have a daughter he has a daughter now that helped to motivate why he does his work mm-hmm. the legacy of his family what he wants to leave behind that helps to motivate his work how it looks will change that's okay as long as you tapping in, as long mm-hmm. as you're out there doing the work. And I think this is one thing that I, I talk about a lot, especially with Black people, how we help doesn't have to look the same. We don't all have to be out there with picket signs. We don't all have to be out there on top of the government organizing in that way. We can be in our churches. We can be in our schools. We can talk to our kids. We can talk to our kids' friends. The way in which we live our life can have input on change for the community. So knowing that can look so many ways and that it will evolve and change over time, I think is a really crucial point to keep people motivated and to know that you can stay in the game dressed differently. Mm. (laughs) I like that. You can stay in the game dressed differently. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, that... That makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I think that resonates with me. Thank you for bringing that up, right? Like, you know, there's not one way for us to engage in this work, right? And and through time, it, it's it it'll evolve, um, and you know, that gives us room for growth, and you know, and for for true change to to take place. So yeah, absolutely. it's that healing, right? It's that healing mm-hmm. for Black people. Like as we do the work, that's to helping to heal the community but as we do the work we're healing ourselves right mm-hmm. within ourselves and that expectation of whatever right however things are supposed to look that expectation well i'm a i'm an advocate so i have to advocate in this way no that's holding you to a 
not you specifically, but that's holding people to mm-hmm. a in a box that doesn't mean if you step outside of the box, you're not still doing the work, right? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's healthy for us to, as Black people to know that our work can look different and it's okay. And that knowing that it's okay is also helping us heal internally. Mm-hmm. Nice. This was a fun episode. I loved it. Martin yeah. was amazing. I want to sing the song from Martin, the TV show, but I won't. Martin! <laughs> but you will. Martin! <laughs> Martin, we, we don't mean to offend you, my brother. <laughs> we don't. We don't. But thanks for listening, everyone. Yes, thanks for listening. Um, and Martin, once again, thank you for coming on the show and, and speaking with us. You know, we are very, very appreciative. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your heart, and your mission with us and the world. So hit us up on IG uh, at HWB Podcast, or you can email us at healingwhileblackpodcast at gmail.com. We like to send a shout out to all of our listeners. Um, thank you so much for rocking with us through each of these episodes. Um, yes. Thank you for your support. You guys been sticking with us. It's been great. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, we also want to give a shout out to, to folks nationally and internationally that tune in. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.